Well, welcome back to Life on the Vine. I am Hutch, and once again, I am here alongside the Right Reverend Father Ted Hutchinson, <laughs> uh, who is my dad, and we are coming at you live, not from the Hannessy Howard Studio, which is our normal base of operations. We are coming at you from uh, my childhood home here in Washington, and we are in part two, if you listened last week, uh, part two of a two-part episode looking at parenting and the role of parenting um, and what the Bible has to say about it and what are some principles for us. So, Dad, once again, thanks so much for being on Life of the Vine, and uh, it's great to, yeah, it's great to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this second episode, and uh, this is a lot of fun, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so let's begin. We talked, we covered a lot of ground last week, last week, last time we recorded. <laughs> I don't actually know when these episodes will come out. It might be two weeks. Um, we covered a lot of episode, uh, a lot of territory last time. So would you take us through sort of the big ideas that we talked about last week, just as we kind of set the stage for what we want to talk about today? Sure. We... I think began by talking about, as parents, we are modeling who God is. We were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect who God is. And so we look at the attributes of God, the character of God, the person of God, and we say, okay, how can we best reflect and model who God is for our children? purpose being that those children will then carry on and reflect who God is in their own lives as they establish a relationship with him, as they come to know him and love him and serve him. And so they carry that on and we pass it on from one generation to the next. As a grandfather now, um, it, it is really my heart and my passion to pass on to the next generation uh, the things that God has taught me what I've learned and what I've experienced and how real God is to me and how I know God and have proved him faithful over these many, many years of, of life and living mm. uh, in the presence of God. So uh, that's our purpose. And <clears throat> as we as we think about modeling God, we said that there are several areas. We, we spent most of our time, I think, last week talking about obedience in particular, yeah. uh, that uh, the purpose of training our children in obedience is that, first of all, they would become independently obedient, and I called it dependent, independently dependent upon God, their Heavenly Father, yeah. so that they would follow Him and serve Him at long after we're gone. Yeah, And that obedience is not simply a conformity or compliance. But it's a response of the heart. It's a response of faith and trust in knowing that the person whom we follow is the one who has our best interest in heart. We will follow someone. We will obey someone. I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, ultimately, their choice was to listen to and, quote unquote, obey the serpent rather than God, yeah. the word of the serpent rather than the word of God. And uh, we've been making that same mistake ever since. So 
we're in the process of learning how to respond in obedience and a heart full of, um, a, a willing heart, a soft yeah. heart yeah. to who God is. Yeah, I love it. So obedience, posture of the heart, that's lived out. And we are, part of parenting is instructing kids. And in, in, in some sense, they, they learn, I think you'd say, they, they learn, we learn obedience to our Heavenly Father through some of the Learning to be obedient to, to our earthly, earthly fathers parents. and mothers. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, it's a sim- similar principle. So... Um, so that's good. So we want to, there's sort of three different areas that we want to talk about and, we, and obedience is sort of the first one. But before we move on, I, I, a question that kind of came as we were ending our time last time, I, I think I could imagine, I'm I myself, right? I'm a young parent and I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that I have, I, you know, my mind is not always in sync with what God desires and wants. So I mean, how do I know that the obedience that I'm asking for is legitimate as a parent? And how, how do you um, how do you kind of manage that, navigate that? And we can think about like, you know, being obedient, asking a kid to be obedient in something like finishing their salad at dinner or, you know, um, being home by a certain time or, you know, I want them to limit their time on the internet or, you know, or go to church. I want them to go to church and I'm going to, Am I going to make them go to church? Is that a place where they need to be obedient to me? So what would you say, kind of in concluding our obedience conversation <laughs> yeah, right. before we move on to independence, um, how do I know as a parent that what I'm asking for is legitimate? And what does that kind of look like to navigate that as a parent? I think I would have to start by saying sometimes we don't. Okay. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes... Uh, but a couple of things that I that I I think can be helpful. One is that whenever we're talking about uh, things that God asks of us, um, to be thankful, to be grateful, mm. to be, uh, I, and that really delves into the area of manners and and how we treat other people and our thoughtfulness toward others. Mm. In those areas that that God has made clear. Uh, then, then that's something that a parent has the authority to do, really, from our Heavenly Father. Mm. Uh, there are other areas, like you said, you know, finish your dinner, finish the salad, um, be home by a certain time. Uh, two things to keep in mind there. One is that that our our expectations for obedience change over time. When a child is younger, mm-hmm. uh, we want to be able to say, stop, don't do that. Or you must do that. Those are things that a child needs to learn. But as they grow older, uh, there will be things that that are expectations because we as parents feel that they're important. I, I want to give an example yeah. um, of, of where I think that the difference lies. The expectations in a home will be different in each home. You know, one parent will allow their child to be on the internet so much time. Another parent says, no, they, they can't be on the internet. Okay, those are individual decisions that every family will have their own standards of, of what's yeah. important. But the key is that those are not biblical mm-hmm. requirements. Those are our family requirements. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, um, because my dad was a pastor, yeah. Dan, your third generation pastor, yeah. um, 
in those days, it was seen as um, very worldly and sinful. Those are the terms used mm -hmm. to play pool. <laughs> and, and so, and so, uh, I can remember my dad saying to me when I got of age where I really wanted to play pool, and I was actually pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, he said, "You know, this this isn't something that is um, wrong in God's sight, mm. but it's not something that that I want you to do because." It would be hard for me as a pastor, mm. and, and I want you to refrain from that. So mm. I'm asking you to obey and not play pool. Mm. But when you get older, you know that's that's another area was alcohol. Mm. My father never drank, yeah, and he did not because he had worked many years, um, literally on Skid Road in Seattle, mm. which is where that term Skid Road developed, by the way, mm. in Seattle, of rescuing men who were drunken alcoholics. Mm. And he made a commitment before the Lord that he would never drink. Mm. And so he said, you know, I, I don't, we, we will not have alcohol in our home, and I don't want you to drink while you're under our roof. I accepted that. Mm. But they never said that God says you can't drink, mm. or you're yeah. sinful, or you're wicked if you drink. Yeah. That was never mm -hmm. said. It was never implied that these cultural things, and that's where we have to be careful, the cultural things. We can say that as a family, this is what we expect. This is what we want. You will be home by a certain time. You will do this. You will not do that. But when you're older, it'll be your choice. Yeah. You'll be an adult, and you can make that choice. And that's part of the growth process. And as parents, we may... We may sometimes make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, maybe, maybe you, Dan, have an example of where your dad made a mistake. Oh, 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 no, no. <laughs> no, 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 never. Yeah. No, I think that, but I think that's a really helpful distinction on a couple of levels. One, to distinguish between what is, I think, Paul saying, "This is of God." Yes. And then in the next sentence saying. This is of me, and I think I also have the mind of Christ. But right. but he, he even Paul differentiates yeah, at some right. points. Um, but there are principles that we see in Scripture that are consistent, that are sort of non-negotiable. Right. And we you talked earlier about the fruits of the Spirit, or you know, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of you know, power and love and self-control. Right? That's right. So those are just good things. And you know, and, some of those things that Dad said he didn't want me to do. He said because it would be it would be a stumbling block. That was a term he used. Yeah, Romans fourteen. Yeah, exactly yeah. to some of the weak believers in our congregation. Right. And so I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah. But I knew that it wasn't because that thing in and of itself that was not disobedience before God. Yes. Yeah. It was behavior again from a willing heart, a soft heart. Yeah. To the needs of others, yeah, and in obedience to God, yeah. One, well, there's so much. I mean, my mind goes so many different places in this, and I, and I think this actually is leading us into the next thing I want us to think about, which is independence. Yes. Um, as you know, even your your dad invited you at some point, right? You can make your own choice, right? Um, but but I also think there's you know there's a uh, Augustine talks about how part of what the fall does is it sort of reorients 
the world and where God is supposed to be the one to whom we are subservient. And then sort of this, there's this order to creation and the fall upends the order of creation. You know, mm-hmm. We take the place of God. And part of what Christ does is to reorient again and turn the world upside down, which is really turning it right side up. Um, but, you know, there's a, the, the idea of ordering of our loves and prioritizing what's most important. And something like pool, as, you know, an example, or even alcohol, you know, pool is, is fun and it may not be wrong, but it's way more important to have a good relationship with your father, to be obedient to your father at that stage of your life, to serve the people of his yeah. congregation. Like, those are higher, higher goods, yes, right, we right. might say, than pool. Yes, Even right. if pool's not wrong, it's a lower good. And, and dad a, communicated that very effectively. Yeah. And that's part of it. And that's part of what I think in parenting and by what obedience helps to formulate that hierarchy of goods. Yes. In our, in our kids' minds. Yes. And, 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 yeah. And, and, um, right. Which gives freedom then as the child becomes more independent. And we said independently dependent upon God, their heavenly father, yeah. to say, Lord, what is it? How, how am I living my life in response to you, mm-hmm. father, yeah. so that I am obedient to you in how I behave in the world around me? Which I think is such an um, important point for parents. Important point, parents. Important point for parents is... If it, and I think about this a lot as working with youth. Um, if, if students get to the end of high school and all they know is what my parents have told me to do, and all they, the only reason they're doing it is because my parents have told, told me, me to, to do, do this, it. that's not a good recipe for going off to college and being on your own. Right. And that's really that's that's compliance. And and I think I this is not not at our church, obviously, but at some <laughs> other churches where I've done youth ministry, I think I, I've I've witnessed through no. I mean, everyone's doing the best that they can, but I've witnessed compliance, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think it's when and you talk about obedience being a matter of the heart, when the heart has begun to say, I want the things that God wants. I want, you know, when that's been, when the training and instruction and discipline even has led to a heart transformation, you know, that's part of that sticky faith. That's part of that faith that that lasts because it's not just, well, now I'm out of my parents' home. I can do what I want. Um, and my heart hasn't had any transformation, but your heart's begun to be directed toward toward God ultimately. And so it doesn't matter whether you're under your parents' roof or not. Right, if that's sort of where you're focused. Um, well, you're you're touching on something there that we didn't actually have in our outline here, Dan. Yeah, that's great. In <laughs> uh, the matter of discipline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when child when a child when children when we are disobedient, hmm. um, and, and and that's a whole other topic that probably is session yeah. three. We get yeah. to that later, but. But in that process of discipline, there needs to be the constant reminder for the child that our purpose here is that we are pleasing to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not just it, when I was a little boy and and 
would do something wrong, mom would always have me first ask the Lord for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and then thank him that he loved me and that he um, forgave me for my sin. Mm. And we use that word, sin. Yeah. Uh, not just mistake. <laughs> it was sin because it's a willful choice to do something wrong. Yeah. And, and by the way, that was part of the punishment too. Punishment is, a, is for a willful choice to do something against. Childishness is, you know, children, for, we, instruction takes years. Yeah. And children forget just like we as adults forget. Yeah. But, uh, discipline is for those areas where we, we choose yeah. to go our own way. And the reminder there, though, is that we're not doing this just because mom and dad said so. We're doing this because we want to learn to please the Lord. Mm. And that's a legitimate goal. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, obedience and independence, they're interconnected as we grow in our trust of God, our love for God, then we become dependent upon God, but in a sort of independent way. And w- maybe just flush that out a little bit more. What do you yeah. mean by? Because we're called be a community. Because... We're called, you know, we're called to be with others, and we not do not saying necessarily do this alone, right? I think. But what what does that independence kind of? What do you mean by that? Well, I think there's there's two levels, and you're touching on the second one. There, let me deal with the first one. The independence means that. As, as a child grows, that child, because he is by definition different than mom and dad, yeah. uh, and all of our children are different from one another, that none of us are alike. Yeah. So each child, by God, is wired in a certain way, has certain gifts, has certain interests, tastes, abilities, desires. And we want to encourage those things. We want those things to flourish. We want them to grow in these ways of um, fulfilling all that they can be. And But our goal as parents and even in obedience, the goal of obedience is to so that they can be responsive to the best things, as you talked about the priority, the the priority, the things that are really most important. And... And then they can move beyond us and make their own decisions. But they make them with, they make them wisely, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of work, for example. Uh, they can make wise decisions and they've been able to learn from their failure, learn from their mistakes. And, and so they have now the ability to go out and make independent good decisions decisions. Mm -hmm. But in that independence is an awareness of what God desires. That's why we say independently dependent, because who are we listening to? Who are we paying attention to? Well, we want to become dependent upon our Heavenly Father for for the life we are to live. And so that I'm not doing it because you told me to, but because, again, I'm sensing this is pleasing to the Lord, and that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think, and I think that's where there are times when, you know, as you grow into adulthood, and even you know, in our relationship, there have been times when we may have you know disagreed, and we can disagree as as adults, mm-hmm. you know, as as mm-hmm. people that have their own relationship with God, and um, and we 
grow and learn from one another in that. Um, but, um, well, yeah, I, I think, and, and, and you, you know, that brings us to the second point of independence and that is that true independence is when I'm not being <laughs> controlled by or obedient to you yeah, or someone else yeah, or the media yeah. or, you know, the culture, right? True independence, which is what we want. True independence is when, when I can make my own decisions, but in response to, again, that, that core thing of, am I modeling, am I imitating, am I imaging who God is Yeah. to the best of my ability? And yeah. none of us are going to do it. Perfectly. No. Yeah. In fact, we could probably say we won't even come close, yeah. <laughs> but we do our best. And, and that's the goal. So independence is... It's really the freedom to be all that God's called us to be. And we will be different than our mom and dad. And and hopefully we'll be we'll be different from the culture around us. Yeah. We'll, we'll be true countercultural yeah. Christians. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot more Yeah, we could say. We could say, but I want to move on. Yeah. Um, because there's still two other bullet points <laughs> no, we haven't touched on, <laughs> we haven't touched on. <laughs> two other areas of focus so um again the first obedience and independence which is related to trust and faith um the second one that you introduced is the ideas of work and rest so um work and rest uh talk a little bit about those two concepts how are they connected and why why is that important um, from a parenting standpoint? From a biblical standpoint, it's because the first two things talked about in Scripture. Okay. We were, Adam and Eve were assigned tasks, mm. and God placed upon them his own example of taking a rest on the Sabbath day. Yeah. And, and gave that as the example for mankind. So work and rest are the first, you know, sort of behavioral things that we see in Scripture. Um. Why do, from a, from purely a cultural standpoint, it's interesting that one of the things that you find uh, talked about a lot in business is finding good workers. Hmm. Where do we find people who are good, competent, excellent, trustworthy workers? Hmm. And that's the struggle. It, for many, many corporations, uh, you can be well-trained. You might even be excellent in your field, but there's more than just knowing how to do X, Y, Z. And so the, the, the matter of work, we'll deal with that one first, yeah. uh, is teaching, I think, first of all, the skills. There are skills involved in work. Uh, and w what are those skills? I think we need to take time and to think through what what are the skills. Uh, the matter of self-discipline, the matter of being uh, taking initiative. We used to have a, a phrase in our home, Daniel, remember, see work, do work. <laughs> remember that one? I do remember that one, yeah. So, in other words, don't always wait for mom and dad to tell you what to do. Yeah. Begin to see what needs to be done and, and take take action. Do yeah. it. Be self-starter. Um, being taking responsibility for the things that are within your purview. In other words, uh, why why should a child clean up his room? Well, 
not that a clean room is, you know, cleanliness is not necessarily next to godliness. Yeah. But there is something about taking responsibility for what belongs to me. Even something as simple as taking care of my toys, mm-hmm. um, putting them away, being careful um, with things it, it is part of learning to manage, as we later on talk about, what has God entrusted to us? What are the resources God has entrusted mm-hmm. to us? Well, for children, part of those resources are the toys they have to play with. Yeah. And and as and the the things where they can help out in the home. And I think one of the one of the struggles that a, a lot of parents reflect to me is that it's it's so hard to do this because it's so much easier to do it yourself. You know, it, it takes time. Yeah. It takes effort. And children make mistakes. They don't do it right. Yeah. <laughs> Which teaches parents patience. <laughs> yeah. So parents have to learn to be patient. Yeah. Um, and they have to learn to clean up the mess when the kid doesn't do it correctly. Yeah. Because that's part of the teaching, the learning process. So it, it's interestingly enough, teaching children to work is really as much of a learning curve for the parents mm-hmm. many times as it is for the child. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not only teaching them how to do things, it's teaching them the way in which and the attitude with which the thing is to be done. Mm-hmm. So that work, um, years ago there was a, a, a book, oh, year, <clears throat> years ago there was a book that talked about work as a curse. And I think sometimes even Christians think that work must be a curse. You know, Adam was yeah. cursed in the garden, and so therefore work's a curse. No, 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 no. Work was given as a blessing. But our attitude needs to be that it is a gift from God. And even when it's hard, even when mm-hmm. it's frustrating, even when it's, it's frustrating because of sin, because of the fall. But work itself is a gift. And and the children need to begin to see that. And so the scripture says, uh, for example, in all work there's reward. Uh, another translation of that is in all work there's profit. Mm. Well, it's not necessarily monetary profit, but there's the reward of, for example, a job well done. There's the reward of the character that it builds within ourselves, within us. There's a reward of of the product itself, uh, the way it benefits others. There are many rewards to work. And so our children, as they're learning to work, need to not only learn the habits and the skills of work, but they need to learn the benefit, the joy of work, the opportunity. Now, the question is, do we as parents see it that way? Or when we talk about our work, do we talk about it as drudgery? Do we talk about it as as something that we can hardly wait to get to the weekend. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I think that's a good place. I, I just want to yeah, no, go ahead. interject because um, I, I guess one question would be exactly how are you defining work? Um, because I think most of us, when we think of work, we think of nine, you know, nine to five job or whatever it is, eight, sure. eight to five or um, maybe lawn mowing the lawn on the weekend taking care of the car like taking care of the car fixing the house um cleaning the and we, we talk about yeah we talk about work sometimes we talk about vocation 
but and I, th- I think for a, for a lot of people the but I think for most people work is synonymous with job and for a lot of people job is not necessarily something that's super life-giving or it's it's maybe it's the means by which some people love their jobs and that's awesome some people just do it to pay the bills to make ends meet um so i guess what is maybe i maybe you did define work earlier but what what exactly do you mean by by work um and what about those times when we it's not whatever we are doing and maybe is necessary is not something that's life-giving not something right. in which we're thriving um is is what i guess well th- th- that's a really important question and needs probably more time than we will mm-hmm. want to spend on it here today i think there's two parts to that you asked what is work how do we define work and then what about when work is not life-giving or something that brings great joy yeah just in the doing of it and I think that question of what is work, <clears throat> in in the broadest general sense, you know, the, the, at the creation, God simply told Adam and Eve to steward and manage the creation. So in that sense, <clears throat> we might legitimately define work as whatever we have to, whatever we do and or have to do or can do to maintain and to um, beautify and to enhance the world around us. Everything we can do, Mm. Um, whether that's washing windows, planting flowers, um, taking care of the car, sweeping the rug, doing the dishes, you know, to maintain and enhance and beautify the world Mm. in which we live. Mm. That's, all of that is work. In fact, I, it, until we talk about rest, yeah, probably everything we do is at some level work. Mm-hmm. Even work on ourselves, yeah, yeah, maintenance yeah. Of, of who we are as individuals. Yeah. Uh, that is a kind of work as well. So I, I want the definition of work to be as broad as possible. Yeah. <clears throat> but then, not just what you get paid for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It it is in fact the steward work is the stewardship. Of the creation. Yeah. I think there's a little one outside I the think door. He <laughs> wants to be on the podcast. That's right. Right. We we need to put him to work and so he won't bother us. He's putting his mom to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you asked about what about when when work is not fulfilling? Yeah. And let's just put it negatively. When it's yeah, not fulfilling. fulfilling. And and first of all, all work has its times when it is unfulfilling and it's hard. It's th- That's the nature of the fall. The creation stands in opposition against us because, and this is critical, critical because we were in opposition to God. So we're going to have those hard times. <clears throat> and not all work is fulfilling or meaningful or, or purposeful. However... Um, I think even in those times, and probably m- most of us at some time in our life will will have a job that is unfulfilling, 
Lord willing, we'll have a job that at some point is fulfilling. But many people don't. Yeah. And at that point, I think we have to simply say, and I've been there, where we have to simply say, Lord, I thank you that I have work that it provides for my needs and my family's needs. I don't love this job. I don't even like this job. If you can give me a different job, <laughs> Lord, I would I would yeah. love that. But right now, I'm going to choose to be thankful that this work does provide for me and my family. And that's a choice. Yeah. And that's part of what we teach too. We teach that to our children, is that we can be thankful that we have this job even though we don't like doing it. Mm. Most kids don't enjoy doing dishes yeah. or cleaning their room. Most adults don't either. Speaking, <laughs> I actually sometimes from someone you know. Well, yeah, no, actually, sometimes I like doing the dishes because it's it's sort of cathartic to me. Yeah, right. You know, and I can get something done. I can see that I have a finished product at the end, which is not true of most of my life. So, right. Yeah, that's why I like splitting wood. Yeah, oh, splitting wood is even better because yeah. you have a big axe that you're you have hefting, a, and you have a big pile of wood when you get done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but exactly, um, but. But see, cultivating, and, and this is just one, cultivating that attitude of thankfulness, yeah. even when the task is not personally rewarding, yeah. is character that is yeah. pleasing to the Lord. Well, I think that, I mean, with with a lot of these, it's sort of like with obedience, right? I mean, obedience sounds like something, or, you know, I don't know, could sound like legalism, but the point is... The heart, right? Yeah, it is the heart. And I think similarly with with work, um, there's a lot of different places in our lives that work in teaching children to work touches, and like gratitude. You know, I don't know that at first blush to think about when I think about work. I don't necessarily think, well, work will teach gratitude. You know, work will teach thankfulness. Work will teach me to be grateful for everything that God has done and provided. So I, I think that I, I love I, don't know, I I love that these things are, are, are tied or that you're kind of in, in encouraging us to see the ties and see how these things are connected and see that it, it's, it's not just about, again, it's not to, just about teaching a kid to do something. Right. You know, it's not just about teaching a kid to accomplish a task, which is work, but it's it's the... You know, how do we step into these things as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who are wanting to respond to you know, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God, giving thanks whatever to Jesus you Christ. You know, whatever you do. You know, and, and so how are we instilling that in our kids through the habits, the practices of of work, and of, to be, of washing dishes? And so. to be very practical about it, it's why we assign things to our children to do that they don't particularly like to do. Not all work should be work that some work can be things that kids like to do, but there should be plenty of work that they don't necessarily like to do. I mean, that's, that's part of learning the, the, an attitude toward our work. Yeah. You have to go through that. You have to experience that. Yeah. So, uh, but the other side of that coin is many of us as adults are workaholics.
Okay, so you just sort of moved us uh, to the second part of this, which is rest. So you just kind of talked a little bit about, uh, brought up the idea of uh, a, a workaholic, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So it's important to teach uh, teach kids to rest, but or to work. But the other side of that that you have brought up is, is rest. So, um, yeah, w- talk talk a little bit. Why, why is rest important, and why is it important, particularly for for parents to to teach to model like? Um, yeah, I, in fact, b- before we started the recording, you said, you know, every kid knows how to be lazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the impression, right? When we think about this, and I, I think this is an untrue stereotype, when the stereotype of youth, and I, I, I see this a lot as, again, as someone that works with youth, the stereotype is that they're lazy. I think that's not true, but that's the stereotype. I agree on both counts. So it's not true, and it is the stereotype, and it has been for generations. Yes. So, you know, someone might wonder why do you need to teach rest? That comes pretty naturally. You know? Actually, it doesn't. That's the whole point. In fact, <clears throat> I, <laughs> I really believe that, and I've, I've, I think I've come to this in later life, that one of the problems with teaching rest is as adults we don't practice rest very well ourselves why do you and, think that is that, why, why? well that's an interesting thing because for one thing what is now we really need a definition of what is rest so and what is rest <laughs> That that's an interesting. I think that's a very interesting question and not as easily answered. Uh, for one, I want to say right up front that what's rest for me may not be restful for you. So let's just get that out on the table. So if if I give illustrations of what is restful to me, that doesn't necessarily so maybe better translate. What is so maybe then instead of what is rest. What does rest accomplish? Yeah, or, I mean, is that or or what is rest? Not in the sense of what do we do that is rest. Yeah, but what is the what does rest accomplish, or what is the purpose of rest? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and if we think, why does God rest? Why exactly God where I was going. The well, Israelites to rest, and, and again we go back to Genesis, then the creation on the seventh day. God rested from all his labor. The Sabbath rest simply means to stop. Stop what we're doing. And that's what we have such a hard time as adults and children. We have a hard time stopping. We are compulsive by nature. And we have this we have this idea, we have this sort of internal mechanism that says, if I don't do it, it won't get done. If I don't do it, things will fall apart. Or if I don't get somebody to do it, if I don't pay somebody to do it, therefore I have to work harder to pay somebody else to do what, you know. But somehow we are responsible to get 
the job done, which is, again, a misuse of the concept of work. We're called to be stewards of the creation, but we're not responsible for the creation. And I think there's an important distinction there. God himself rested. He came to an end. He made an end of it. He stopped. And we are to stop. And and we'll talk about what we do in that mode of stopping. But at the core of that is that we are not all-powerful. We are not all-sufficient. And the core of teaching ourselves and children to rest is that developing within ourselves a freedom from this lie that we are responsible for everything, Mm. that we have to get it done. Mm. And that that comes out in lots of different ways for different people. But it it is truly a compulsion. Mm. That we have to get it done. That we have to do it. Right. There's something that has to be done and we have to do it. I think there's a lot of, I think it's good. I think there's a lot of uh, fear. Yes. And insecurity that comes up with that. And it was actually, I was listening to a, I think it was a podcast. um, And it was, it was talking about young, I think it was particularly sort of young adolescent men and this idea of, of laziness. And when this researcher was making the argument that a lot of what looks like laziness is actually the result of feeling so much pressure to do and to achieve that these kids feel almost incapacitated. Right. It's almost the opposite of laziness. It, it's being it, it's, overwhelmed. It's being overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed, your system shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. And so it presents, presents in a sense as laziness. Yes. But it's, the exact opposite. So I think, yeah. So well, and and it well, it does one of two things, or two or three things. Yeah, it, laziness is one. The the other is mindless entertainment. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, for sure. You know the the numbing. old the yes, mind numbing. It it's just it's background noise. Right. It's having to have noise have of some sort, yeah. whether that's a TV program, a talk show, a you know music, whatever it is, having to have something going on all the time. Uh, the old word amusement as an amusement park. We don't talk about amusement parks anymore, yeah. but that word amusement means without the mind. Mm. And and we live in a culture in which um, maybe the internet has a, allowed us even additional ways of being mindless. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and rest, from a biblical perspective, is stopping all that. And so rest, <laughs> interesting enough, the, the book of Hebrews tells us, let's us therefore labor to enter into that rest which God has in store for us. Mm-hmm. Interesting that he should say, let us therefore labor. Let, rest does not come naturally. Yeah. Some of the things that we, and, and again, you began with, Rest is not necessarily the same for everyone. Yes. And I think it's because what we're doing is not necessarily the same. So what we need to stop doing is not necessarily the same. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but 
it's you know when you think of rest i think a lot of you know even for myself i think of what i want to when i want to rest at the end of a day of work i'll pop on netflix right Binge the <laughs> show um but those might be some of the things that we actually need to rest from as well right it's, it's not just without and, becoming and, legalistic without becoming legalistic yes yeah. so let's talk about that for a moment because i think that and this is where the Sabbath principle becomes so critical. The, the The Bible speaks of and gives multiple examples of rest throughout or at the end of the day, which is what you're talking about. You get home from work, you you, you do something that is restful, we'll say. But there's also a Sabbath rest, and so or vacation is a rest or playing a game or watching a game on TV or, you know, sports, whatever. Those things can be restful for us. They, they relieve the pressure and the, and the um, sense of obligation or responsibility. That's fine. But there's also a rest, a Sabbath rest, which is um, stopping even from those concerns, which I believe is for the purpose of reprioritizing, reorienting, mm. um, centering, some people would call it. Mm. We need we need a time of rest. And now some people do this with daily devotions. Uh, which which is that's fabulous if you're a person that does that. And um it, it's it's a time when we're able to focus on again that word priorities. What's really important? What really matters? Am I making a difference in things that matter? Am I living out the values I say I have? And that takes a Sabbath rest. Mm. And I think that's one reason, you know, <laughs> I, I want to be really careful here because I might get in big trouble, but church may not be rest. Mm. Um, it, it might be refreshing, and it's a blessing, but many of us need to take time alone or in the company of a few people who can help us rest. Um, for me, I work better with taking rest breaks intermittently, mm -hmm. but it'll be a longer break in which I can focus yeah. as opposed to a short break. But other people, work, I think you then work differently on that than I do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fine. There's no problem with that. But that key is when God stopped and he, he calls us to stop, it's in order that we might become reconnected with our source. Yeah. Our source is not us. Right. Our right. source is God. And we need whatever rest right. is, it must be something that reconnects us with God and what he, our relationship with him. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's from a parenting standpoint too. It's so important for kids to see their parents doing that. And, and I think, you know, there's, um, we might've talked about this on another podcast, but um, <clears throat> Jackson recently did, one of his leaders did a kind of a, a questionnaire survey of junior high students of like, how often is there scripture reading in the home and how often do, 
um, you know, you talk about faith with your parents and stuff like that. And the answers were um, pretty low from a right. how, many, how many times? Infrequent. Infrequent. Yeah, right. It's pretty infrequent, you know. And that may or may not, I mean, I don't know what ha- that has to do with reality, what it has to do with the observational skills of junior hires, what it has to do with the fact that maybe parents do it once kids are off to school. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of ways to interpret that data. That data didn't necessarily tell us too much. But what it did tell us is that kids, and I think this is pretty common because the, the literature bears it out. Bears it out. Kids don't see their parents doing things of faith. And I, and I think that's a general rule, but I think that sort of this idea of, of rest is one of those areas, and, and particularly rest as a time to reconnect with the source and to remember and live into the reality that we are dependent creatures. And I think a lot of kids don't see their parents doing that. That's that's my assessment. Um, and... And I think that's something we're going back to kind of modeling. Um, and that's in some sense where we're not necessarily modeling. We model God rested to give us a model. We're not necessarily resting and uh, modeling an attribute of God because God is not dependent, but we are living. We're modeling a behavior our, of God. A behavior of God and yes. a reality about ourselves as creatures. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's important. It's important for, for kids to know that their parents are dependent upon God, that they're looking to God for strength and for Mm -hmm. direction and for um, provision, you know, that our hope is not in a job. And if the job is there and if the job is not there, that's maybe better or worse for us, but it doesn't, it's not something upon which we rest our hope. And I think that's, I think that's really important for kids to know. Um, Because I think a lot of kids do sort of end up growing up thinking that, you know, the job and the college degree and X, Y, and Z, that's, I need those things for security or for safety or for happiness or to, to have the life that I want to have. Um, and this idea of rest, I feel like, kind of speaks into all of that. Um, Something you said there, I think, is absolutely critical and important. Many parents I've worked with, have communicated to me, let alone their kids, that, and these are, these are parents in the church, have communicated to me that that their highest priority is that they prepare their kids to get a good job. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, that's not a biblical perspective at all. And and where do you, if if that's your goal? Where do you rest? Because the concept of rest, I hope we get this, I hope we hear this, that biblical rest is about recognizing I am not the source, I am not sufficient, God is, and therefore I can rest emotionally, Mm. mentally, spiritually. I'm resting in God as my provider, as my all-sufficiency. And whatever we do, see, the, the doing needs to be modeling that attitude, that belief, that faith, 
and then whatever we do demonstrates our faith. So that's why rest looks different for you and for me. But our kids can see that. When we're doing that, they can see it. So obedience and independence, work and rest, these are pairings, right? They're, they're yeah. These principles that are joined together, and and there's and there's overlap through all of these. Oh, they are, and seen. I mean, so the final thing, um, principle or kind of area of focus that you uh, brought up at the beginning is time and money, and so um, let's spend a little bit of time. And, and really, the, the word that you used in this uh, was was sort of stewardship, managing, the, the managing, yeah, it's yeah, it's stewardship principle. of the resources God has entrusted to us. Yeah, managing the resources that God has entrusted to us. So, um, I want to get really just practical here for for a bit. Right. So. We've talked about a lot about some of these principles and some of these big ideas and some of these concepts and where we see them in scripture. But practically speaking, how do you go about talking to your kids, teaching your kids about money, about use of time, about stewardship? If, if, if a parent's listening in right now and they're saying, what can I do tomorrow? What can I do this week? What can I do the next week right. to help my kid have a biblical understanding of what it means to manage your resources what 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 would you say practical tips for parents on this topic well in one sense this is the easiest one of all to talk about Mm. but it's the most difficult to do why why do you say that i say that because (laughs) In order to teach our kids to manage money well, we have to manage our money well. We can't teach them to do what we're not doing, which means we need to have a plan, a spending plan. We need to have, uh, we, we need to be aware of how we are using the resources that, that God has given us mm-hmm. and have a plan for maximizing that. So uh, now you said you want to get practical and yeah. I could talk more about that and maybe I'll come back to that. But but a very simple thing at the very beginning with children, and I would hope every parent does something along these lines, and that is that as soon as children are able to understand that there is something called money that represents value, it has value for some reason, mm-hmm. and they'll come to understand what that reason is later on. But as soon as they begin to understand that, the, the children n- need to see us putting into practice something that God taught Israel from the very beginning. Here we go back to the children of Israel, and that is that in, in Abraham, um, they you have a resource that is has value, and of that resource— you tithe something to God because you're saying this all belongs to you, God. It comes from you and of your hand we have received and we give back to you that which is yours. So there is a tithe. And that is because the tithe represents that it all belongs to God. Mm. Technically, a tithe is not a gift. Mm. A tithe is simply a repayment. Mm. Then comes giving. 
and that's why in some churches you'll have we'll have we talk about our tithes and our offerings hmm. because an offering you remember Paul told we we sometimes call offerings a free will offering yeah. Paul called it that he said giving is from the heart now that was over and above the tithe hmm. because tithe is simply that I'm saying God this is all yours yeah but when I give something I'm saying even though it's all yours this this is the part that you've given to me to manage. Mm. This is my 90%, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm going to give you something of what's mine. Mm. And so I give you more mm. than just the tithe. And that needs, children need to be start right at that. And the interesting thing is that when children begin at, at the very early age, it can be three, four, five years of, of age. Yeah. As they begin to practice that, it becomes a habit. You remember we talked about how habits inform and they actually give us freedom. There's power in habits. Well, you form that habit from children and it becomes, frankly, automatic. And so some things, you know, the heart is willing because it's a habit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then as you grow older, you begin to see that God blesses that. R.G. Eternal, who invented the hydraulic and became wildly um, wealthy because of that, used to say, <clears throat> people would often ask him because he gave so much to, the, to God's work, mm-hmm. to the ministry. How can you afford to give so much? And R.G. Eternal, famous for saying, well, God have a shovel and I have a shovel. His is bigger than mine. <laughs> And, you know, once once we've practiced this, I can say that in my own life. God's shovel of goodness and faithfulness mm-hmm. is bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. And so it's no problem. Yeah. I, it, there's, there's no question in my mind if, about giving. Yeah. Well, it gets back to, I mean, the rest and the idea of trust, which gets us back to obedience. I mean, I think exactly the, the idea of, of trust of our heavenly father who loves us, who cares for us, who has our best interests in mind and knows what's best for us. I mean, that runs through all of these, every single one of these, every single one of these. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And living that out. Right. What does it mean to live that out? Yeah. And, and see, along with that, it, part of it though, is that, is that as parents, and, and I think this, you know, the Bible has more to say about money than any other single topic. There are more verses, there are more words devoted to money or resources than any other topic in Scripture. In fact, the book of Proverbs is just, there's literally hundreds of verses that yeah. talk about that in the book of Proverbs. So God thinks it's pretty important. And Christ himself said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Yeah. If you want to know where you, if you really have a heart for God, if you really want to know where's your treasure mm-hmm. and where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And where your heart is, the other way around is also true. Yeah. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Yeah. So that compels us, I think, as, as believers to have a plan for how we spend our money. Yeah. I don't, I never use the term budget because budget is constricting and and negative and but 
we do need a plan. It's a, it's prioritizing how we will use our resources. And when we have a plan, and when we prioritize our resources, we will find that God does more than we could ask or think. He's always faithful yeah. and never fails. I think that's a good place to stop. I think this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I know I'm sure that our listeners have enjoyed it as well. And um, as we've said, as we've gone through, lots more could be said about any of these topics. But, um, but just by way of recap, we're created in the image of God. We are created to image God, to, to mirror God. And part of parenting is, is doing just that, is imitating, being imitators of God and teaching that to our kids with the um, hope and the prayer that they too would become imitators of, of who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and some of the particular areas of focus for parents, areas of responsibility in terms of teaching and instruction, are these areas of obedience and not just what we do, but a heart that trusts and desires and responds in love to the God who made us. And we want our kids to be uh, independently dependent upon God. We want them to have their own love for God. That's that's um, not just because we love God as parents, but we want them to love God um, and to do the work that God has called them to, which is that next you know, piece of it, work and rest, that right. um, all that we do and engage in um, is, is in taking responsibility for what God has put before us is something where we instruct our kids, but recognizing that he's in control. It's not up to us to, to, to I mean, we, we, we work, but uh, we work by the power of the Spirit and through the Spirit and ultimately um, believe that God is the one who accomplishes something through that work. So that's, we, we, we trust and that's part of rest. And you said reconnecting. Um, and then that trust carries us right through to, 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 to money and resources and time. I think. And our time. Our time. And, that, and that's, the, we didn't get, but it's the same thing of it's all God's. It's from God. It's for God. We're stewards of that. And, um, but it, it kind of, it kind of begins and ends with, with trust, right? It begins and ends with, the knowledge of the God who created us and who loves us and who sought us out in Jesus Christ. Um, I one final thought that yeah. that occurs to me. I'm thinking of the psalmist who says, "Oh, taste and see that the mm. Lord is good." Yeah. Well, experience and obedience teaches us. We we ex- through a obedience, we experience that things are good. Yeah. Oh, taste and see. Experience it. Practice it. Yeah. The Lord is good. And we can trust him. Yeah. Well, thanks for again for being on Life on the Vine. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Thanks to uh, Eric Baird for music for and after every episode thanks to Jackson for editing these things and uh, we will talk at you later have a good week